Okay, do I need to move this? Is this? This not on anyway, is it? No. Does it need to be? <clears throat> is it on? Shall I move it up a bit? No, it's fine. Can you hear me at the back? Okay. All right, okay, hang on. Okay, <clears throat> well, thank you for having me back. Um, sorry about this service. I didn't know that I was supposed to do all that stuff. Um, Alan is away for until Friday, so God willing, it's me again tonight. Okay, so I just want to delve into this thing here because it's super important. Um, now, what chapter comes before chapter 18 in John? Chapter 17. Okay, so chapter 17 is finished. And that, in that chapter, Jesus is praying to the Father. Do you remember that chapter? It's really good. Right. Oh, yeah, and please turn your mobile phones off. Yeah, I forgot to say that. Unless you're expecting something really important. Um, right, so after the prayer, Jesus uh, crosses a valley. All right, now, in Ogmore Vale, where I live, there is a mountain there and a mountain there, and in the middle it's called a valley. And we have a river going down the middle. It's called the Ogmore River. Yeah? It's basically a brook, just like that. But this one is in the Middle East. So I'm just trying to make us picture it. So the king of Israel stops praying, although he's probably praying always. And he goes towards a garden, and he crosses over a brook. Now, brownie points, if anyone else can think of another king, in the Bible, another king of Israel who's just been rejected, and he crosses a brook. It's no accident that they go out of their way to write this at the start. And there was civil war at the time, and uh, people are crying, and the king has to cross the brook because he's been rejected. Hmm? Well, the answer is King David in 2 Samuel. And here's the king of Israel again crossing the brook because he's been rejected. But there's a big difference. David escapes his enemies. Jesus doesn't. And David escapes the judgment of the Father. Jesus doesn't. Okay. So next question <clears throat> to pick this apart. Do you have somewhere that you like to go? Uh, you know, like hide out with your friends. Come away from the busyness of life. Have you got that in your head? Have you got a place that you like to go? When I lived around here, um, there's a bench like halfway up the hill from Bryn Mill and Town Hill. Do you know that bench? I used to sit there, quiet place. Now um, I've had an office built out the back of my house. I can go there with no children. Uh, it's amazing. That's where I go. Where do you go? Is it the Phoenix or something? To be quiet? No, it won't be quiet there, would it? Okay, well, Jesus goes to a garden. That's where he likes to go with his friends. He's been there a few times. The problem this time is <coughs> Judas knows that Jesus likes to go there in verse 2. And that's a bad thing because Judas hates Jesus. And when Jesus goes to the special place with his friends, Judas, when Jesus goes to the special place, Judas brings a mob of people with him to capture him and to kill him. Now, the word troop there 
It's the best we got in English. It can mean anything from 200 to 1,000 soldiers, right? So here you are in your friends, wherever you go, the Phoenix, the bench in Town Hill, Jesus is in the garden, and so you're sitting there reflecting, talking quietly, <clears throat> and then the road starts to shake, or the buildings around you start to shake, or the trees start to shake, and you hear people shouting, and it's anywhere between 200 to 1,000 people coming to your special place, and, they're com and their torches fill the air, and they got weapons and stuff, and they're coming just for you. Like, if someone wanted to capture me, they would just send one person, because I'm a weed. But they send almost a thousand soldiers to capture one man. That makes me think, they do really know who Jesus is. They just hate him. You wouldn't send a thousand people to get one man unless you think, maybe this guy is God. We better bring the lads. Right, so they send in those people. Verse 4, uh, Jesus knows that they're coming. And he's the only one that knows they're coming. And so he does he run away like I would do from my office? No. Uh, he stands up and he approaches them. And as you see behind me, he says, who are you seeking? And remember, this is just before he dies. He knows what's happening. And they say, we're looking for Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> and we come to verse 5, which is pretty much the message. Who are you seeking? Jesus. And he said to them, I am. Right? Now, that is a phrase that God uses when God speaks. In Exodus 3, God says it. And here, God says it again. And verse 6, when he says it, what happens? They all fall down. My message title, if you make notes or want one, is take a bow. Because they all kind of take a bow, inadvertently, unintentionally. Now, there's a hymn which I wanted to sing at the end of this, but I don't think that's going to happen. And the hymn is, Jesus, the name high over all. You know it? Right. At the end of that, <clears throat> there's a line, and devils fear and fly. So at that name, or in Philippians, um, Paul says, you know, the name, the Lord Jesus, at that lordship name. Well, the hymn sums it up, even devils fear and fly. And when this God-man speaks and reveals who he is, just a smidge, humans fear and fly. And we all will one day, unless we're saved, we will try and leg it from the God-man. Uh, now, I'll tell you something that makes me sad. In my church, <clears throat> we have children's meetings and the blasphemy from the children. And they say, not just God, they say, oh, Jesus. And they swear it out as if it's nothing. Um, be careful, child, I'll say. Or be careful, parent, if they are just, the children are just parroting you because you blaspheme all day long. This Jesus is not a sap. Uh, he is mighty powerful. Uh, 
He, no, no, the driving force behind everything that frightens little children in my youth work, like devils and demons and ghosts and ghouls and darkness that children are scared witless of, and rightly so, the things which are behind that, the dark things of the world, they are scared witless at this man. So be careful, sinner, when you reduce this man in your life. We fear this name, the Lord I am. How big is Jesus to you this morning? Well, the devils fear and fly, and humans fall down. So here we are. The tough guys have fallen down, and I just want to pause there because I have a question so we get to grips with this. Why did they fall down? Now, if you watch Superman, when Superman sometimes talks, he gives out this gust of air or like icy stuff, and people fall down. Is that what happens? Right, okay. Uh, or if you watch X-Men, like Storm commands winds and kind of comes out of her and around her and people fall over. Is that why they fall down? Right, okay. Why do they fall down then? Well, here's why. And it's happened probably to everyone in the room to some degree or another. It's a spiritual and physical experience. And it'll happen to us all if it hasn't happened already to some degree or another. It varies in intensity. And when it happened to you, you may not have fallen over, but you probably remember when it happened. And it's this. And I will explain what's behind this experience with a question and then a short story. And here's my question. What happens when you lift a rock off insects which have been dwelling in darkness? They run away. They flee, they reel back. Right, that's the question. Here's the story. This week, a lady in my valley lectured me, and she said this. <clears throat> Your church stance on homosexuality is wrong because society is now pro-homosexuality. And if the majority of a society declares something to be morally good, then you can rest assured, Pastor Batstone, that that is God working in the majority, and it's probably his will. So, whenever a majority decides something, that's God's spirit just doing it and working at it. So if a society deems a homosexuality or pedophilia is right, this woman declares, therefore, it becomes morally good. You understand her argument? Right, goes out the window if you think about Hitler's Germany and what the majority believed in then, doesn't it? Right, but her point was, that equals this. Lots of people remaining comfortable living a certain way and never really asking what God wants for their lives. So the question was, what happens when you lift a rock off insects? And the story was, what about the majority and how they lived? Never challenged. All right, come back to the text. Judas... The soldiers, the Jewish authorities, as a majority, have decided that it's good to eradicate Jesus and kill him. Okay? 
because they want to live their own way without God dictating how to live. And what happens when our local standards of goodness and morality and religion and sin are confronted with God and his standard, when he reveals himself, we're struck. Has that ever happened to you to some degree or another? We are exposed. We are revealed to be sinners in the light of a holy God who live as if we were God. And when God prods us and pokes us in church or through a friend, um, we want Jesus to just go away. 200 to 1,000 soldiers. You don't bring that many people unless you know that he is God, but you just don't like him. You want him dead, right? And they fall over because they meet him. Uh, this woman needs to see, and you need to see it, and I need to see it more, that the majority of planet Earth are waging war against God. War. And anything, Paul says in the Bible, outside of faith in Christ is sin. Right, so forget ISIS a minute and what they're doing to women and children and innocent people, sort of innocent people. When you woke up this morning and you had your breakfast, did you eat your breakfast with a heart that belongs to Jesus? If you didn't, you fall under the category of eating breakfast outside of faith in Jesus, which is sin. You rob Jesus of his breakfast, of his provisions for you. Sinners do it every day. We rob God. So therefore, you're not on the team of the I am just yet. You are against him. Leave ISIS aside for the moment. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Sheesh, I've got two minutes left for the 15 minutes is up. Right, I'll scrap that. I was going to give you some facts about a star because I read it this weekend. And then the point of that fact is Jesus made that star. That's what Colossians 1 says. And it would have been good, but, you know, I'm scared of Alan and I need to finish. So, so the man standing before them now is the God, the star-breathing God. He gave them their breath that they're getting angry with him about. And you're probably thinking, what are you doing, you idiots? You don't pick a fight with this man. Right, okay. Why do people pick a fight with Jesus? The answer is this. The blinding deceitful power of sin right it makes you feel that you're invincible as you wage a war against God and it makes you feel you're going to win but actually what sin is doing in your life is holding your hand right up to the face of Jesus and it's deceiving you and you're going to meet him as an enemy so put the brakes on as you think these guys are stupid if you're a Christian, you're sort of, if you're not a Christian, you're sort of stupid. It's the same blinding power. 
um, there's a huge stain blocking you from seeing Jesus as the I am. If you're not a Christian this morning, and it's sin. You love like little stupid glories instead of the glory of God. And you're planting your foot in it, and you think it's safe, but you're going to meet him, and you will fall down, and you will bow and confess that he is Lord. Now I'm going to end with some stunning news because this passage is written that you may have life and that you may believe that Christ is the son of the living God. Right? What do we end on? It's a little point but probably the most important in the passage and it's in verse 4. He went forwards to them. Jesus is not some pathetic martyr hanging on a cross and we say, Ah, oh, didums, bless him. What a lovely guy. He stepped up. There was a conference in heaven and the father said, Who's going to defeat the blinding power of sin in people in Town Hill churches? Hearts. And all the angels kept their little wings down. I'm not doing that. Jesus put his hands up. I will go. I will step up. And in John 15, they try to give Jesus a crown and he legs it. He doesn't want one. In John 18, they're going to give him a cross. Does he run away? No. He wants to die for sinners who are waging war against God. And he wants to redeem their souls and their lives and their morals and their breakfast times and their friendships and their family life. He wants to redeem it and bring it in conformity to God, which is what you were made to do. So he steps up as a lamb before his shearers to take away the sin of the world. And he will give sinners breath of God in their souls this morning. And he will put a do not touch sign up for the devil and for the righteous anger of the Father because he has taken their place. This is no ordinary man. What are you thinking as you read this about Jesus? Your life depends on that answer. Who is he to you? For his name's sake. Amen. Amen. So we want to close by singing uh, Jesus the name high over.